This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. And you can find this on page 688 if you're using one of the Bibles we've provided. That's Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is God's Word. Since the beginning of time, we humans have spent much of our lives trying to prove ourselves. In job interviews, we want to provide any degree, uh, any semblance of a grade point average, certifications, uh, experience, you know, all the way to those times when our parents made us do yard work, counting those as community service. <laughs> you know, anything that might work. I remember paying $10 to join the Latin club in high school, uh, picking up my card and never attending a meeting. But I did it all for my college resume, and I could prove that I was part of it. Uh, when we're dating, especially seriously dating, what is dating but trying to prove that you could be a good spouse, which is why I feel I'm still dating my wife. Because <laughs> I'm still trying to prove that. We prove, try to prove things, especially about the things we care about the most. You know, so we will go to great lengths to prove that CrossFit will change your life or that the Paleolithic diet will change your body. I hope I got that right. I don't know what that is. But uh, that pets really are like people. I'm telling you. Or, or, or hopefully, you try to prove it some way, there is a God and he wants an eternal relationship with you. The things we really care about. Which, and we try to prove them because we know from experience that people seek proof. If I'm going to buy what you're selling, you've got to work a little to show me some proof in the form of scientific proof, empirical data, but now more than ever, seeking proof via testimony of personal experience. In fact, how, how many of you have read an online message board over the past year well, when deciding where to eat, uh, where to vacation, what over-the-counter medicine to take, which nutritional supplement really works? Raise your hand. Be honest. All right, yes. Almost all of us. And throughout history, we, we've always kind of cycled back in cultures to the importance of, of the testimony of witnesses as critical evidentiary proof. Jesus is no exception. No exception to this phenomenon that is proving oneself. He sought to show, even provide proof for himself as his father's son. As God's son. Now in the Jewish context in which he lived, there, there was one superior way 
to produce proof that really trumped everything else. And that was the testimony of witnesses. So for example, in God's law early in Deuteronomy called the Pentateuch or Torah if you're Jewish, Deuteronomy chapter 19 verse 5 says this, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime, any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. So it's something serious. You can't just have one witness. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. Also Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, on the evidence of two witnesses or of the three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of just one witness. So the importance is having witnesses and multiple witnesses. And that makes sense, right? You're not going to dredge up the Jordan River for a dead body, right? Uh, They didn't have that ability to do that. There's no forensic evidence possible. This is not, they don't have CSI Jerusalem. Ow! You have to see the show to know that. All right. But there is a pattern that continues with this idea of witnesses in the New Testament as well. Jesus says this, when it comes to reconciling with a brother and, and, and maybe accusing even a brother of wrongdoing, it says this, Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, listen to this, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This moment of Jesus' baptism, the passage we read out this morning, the moment of Jesus' baptism is a seminal moment in his life because we hear the testimonies that Jesus is God's Son. And we hear from two central figures, central witnesses. Because something's got to be established by two or three witnesses. And we hear it from John the first prophet on the scene in 400 years, over 400 years. Credible witness. And we hear the witness, most importantly, from the Father himself. God the Father. I want you to listen how, just how important this moment is in Jesus' life and ministry. How he leans upon this moment, this testimony, as evidence. John 5, 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. goes on to say in verse 31, Jesus says this, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to this truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. You see what he's he's referring back to this moment in time where John testifies to him and the Father speaks testifying to him as his son. 
just as Jesus is about to go and do battle in the desert with Satan, his, the Father shows up at this critical time in His Son's life. And it proves Him to be the Son. His Son. And in doing so, demonstrates for us fatherhood done well. We did ten lessons about fatherhood done poorly last week. This is the more positive week. There are six lessons here at Jesus' baptism of fatherhood done well. Number one, His Father is there. Number two, his father makes his presence known. Number three, his father makes his presence felt. Number four, his father identifies with him. Number five, his father expresses his love for him. And number six, his father expresses his pleasure with him. And since you earthly fathers are designed and purposed to model two children, your heavenly father, we would do well to listen to these six lessons. Now, let me just say also, for those who are not dads, as I mentioned this last week, I want to encourage you to, to pray these, to encourage these into the lives of dads you know, into the lives of your spouses, even into the life of your own father. So let's get to work. Lesson number one, his father is there. And in fact, the first three lessons I'm going to share with us this morning, the first few lessons here, all have to do with the importance of just showing up. Yet therein lies one of the greatest difficulties of being a father. Men, especially fathers, you feel the weight of providing for and protecting your family. So with each beautiful birth, each moment, you see this beautiful baby and you have flashed before you, you know, a two-year-old who needs the endless supply of diapers, a six-year-old heading off to a school that sends home an invoice, right? A 12-year-old who eats his own body weight every day, and then also flashing forward a teenager who will ask for whatever is the most technologically sophisticated way to ask his friend a potentially dumb question. Right, which, which I'm guessing will be a hand phone, right? Just a phone built into your hand. I'm thinking forward 10 years from now. That'd be pretty cool though, right? You just like do this with your hand and it really works. It dialed, but that's my guess. We'll see. Just a side note. If that comes true, I'm a prophet. If not, you can stone me. <laughs> All right. Uh, but we feel this burden even when we see our child at a young age and but the truth is, fathers, we were designed to carry that burden. God designed us that way. E- even biologically, men, God has designed you that way. At 18, boys have 50% more muscles than girls, especially in the upper body. Men, you have more sweat glands than women. All right? Endurance. And many of you men can attest to having more sweat glands. Many of you wives can attest. Men, you have, on average, larger windpipes to speak up in difficult moments, 30% greater lung capacity. Men, and I have to read this, your testosterone stimulates the production of neurotransmitters in the hypothalamic area. I don't know what that is. Sounds important. And this excess of neurotransmitters waiting in the synaptic areas of your brain tends to lower the threshold of response in males. Go with me here. Such that less stimulation is required 
In other words, less stuff has to happen to set off behavioral responses to things like food, sex, and threats. In other words, you have this stuff going on that makes you react pretty quickly to those sorts of things, to go into action fast, to protect. As an associate professor of biology at Bethel College, Greg Johnson notes, this combination of traits may aid in male tendencies to be more active, to be risk takers, be quicker to act and make decisions. I know there's some bad parts to that, but let's focus on the good parts. Being designed to provide and protect the question then becomes, how can I both be there and provide and protect? How can I both be there and still provide and protect over here? And the good news we must also keep in mind, men, is that you aren't the only father to your family. Right? As Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, starting in verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil. They don't spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear for a father? It's how do I provide food? How do I provide beverage? How do I provide clothing and good education? And the Gentiles seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And these things will be added to you as well. Father. Jesus keeps pointing back. He's a Father to you. And I love that question. Is not life more than food? Verse 25. Is not life more more important than food. Jesus, the Son of God, the Master of the universe, is saying the Father is taking care of you. So focus on life in front of you. Focus on the life in front of you. Fathers, show up to the life your Father has entrusted to you. Something else to keep in mind about showing up, dads. Don't feel bad if you're the only dad to show up. And I've often uh, felt guilty about this because if you begin to show up in your father's life, you often will be the only dad there or one of the few. And I've often felt guilty or sheepish about this. Like, oh, maybe I'm making other kids feel uncomfortable. But we shouldn't. And and you shouldn't. Uh, Mason, my oldest son, asked me to come in one week this year and, and be his show and tell. And... It was very flattering. Of course, he had an agenda, which was for me to teach his friends how to play cards. Which, as a pastor, is very awkward. I was going to say that. I'll provide no more details. But Mason asked, well, I asked Mason, sorry, if, if he'd ever seen any of his other buddies' fathers show up to class. And when he said no, I felt compelled 
to contact his teacher and kind of say, you know, I don't want to make any of these kids feel uh, bad. You know, their, their fathers haven't showed up and maybe won't show up. Immediately after this, or, or soon after this, I can remember, I went to Georgetown Primary, through our Georgetown Primary Outreach Program, uh, where for most of the year, my kids have joined my wife and I in uh, volunteering with at-risk kids. As I brought in my own son, I had one riding on my piggy, you know, riding piggyback. And I just looked at the other kids' faces. They, they just looked. And this happens most times when I brought my kids. They are in awe of a father showing up. And they need to see that. So even if other fathers don't show up, those children need to catch a vision, catch a real tangible hope that showing up is possible if not now for the day when they're a spouse when they're a father they need to see that which should also encourage you dudes who aren't yet fathers you can emulate being a father just as the apostle paul envisioned himself as a spiritual father just by showing up in a young person's life okay lesson number two they get, they get shorter. Lesson number two, his father makes his presence known, right, by speaking. Fathers, you exercise life-shaping influence in your child through what you say. Life-shaping influence. I remember a friend of mine in prison ministry once telling me that he asked virtually every inmate he encounters, did your father ever tell you you'd end up in prison? And he explained that most of the inmates he asked this reply that their dad told them, at some point their dad told them that prison was in their future. Fathers, our words have a powerful influence on children for good or for ill. James says this in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, that he says, look at, the sh- look at ships. Though they are large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now, you may have heard, you may have only heard these ver- verses, these words to illustrate how important it is to shut your pie hole. All right, but they also indicate that a small rudder for the life of your child in the hands of a wise father can chart the course for your child's future. Right? Just a small rudder, words. So what should we say? Let me encourage us, aim to speak and instill a Godward purpose in your child's life. You need to speak and instill a Godward purpose in your child's life. In my car, I keep a note card for each of my children for whom I pray. All right? um, and, I, and I pray from this card. Each has their uh, name and a verse. All right? So, for instance, Mason, my oldest son, it means uh, basically a bricklayer. And it was taken, it was inspired from 1 Peter 2, uh, which, where it talks about, Peter talks about we are being built as God's people into the, uh, we're like spiritual stones, like Jesus being the chief cornerstone, being built 
into this house, into this temple, each of us playing a part and being a stone. And the verse I have written down, though, for him is 1 John 4.18, which says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. So what I try to do is I tell him about his name. Uh, on one of his birthdays, actually, I plan to. I haven't yet. I got online once, started looking at costs to engrave bricks. It was very expensive, so I said I'd wait another day. But I'm planning on his birthday, giving him a brick with 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5 engraved on it. You know, spiritual stones, because I believe God's going to use him to help lay these spiritual stones in his life. And, and I talk with him about perfect love, driving out fear in his life. Because fathers, they are listening. Lesson number three, we learn at Jesus' baptism. His father makes his presence felt. Through what? His spirit. Right? This is, it's just a wonderful little phrase here. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Coming to rest on him. You can see it like, like an arm around the shoulder of his son. Just resting. There are three ways to make, I want to give you three ways to make your presence felt, dads. Number one, by living out what you speak into your child's life. Because Mason, I mentioned, he struggles with fear, and he has this purpose to one day help build spiritual stones. He needs to see me praying for and boldly stepping up into opportunities to share the good news. He needs to see me doing that. At games, in our front yard, as we play and neighbors come by at his school, even as I'm hanging out with he and his buddies, who, by the way, you can be a true father figure to just by loving them the best way possible. Your children's friends, loving them the best way possible by telling them about an eternal father they can know through Jesus. Living out what you speak into their life is a way to communicate, hey, I'm on your team. I am, I'm in this with you. Another way you can make your presence felt is by praying that God word purpose into their life. When my kids leave for school or I leave for work, I want them to feel. I want them to feel what I've communicated through the Spirit reinforcing it in their lives by way of, of little reminders throughout the day. Maybe um, opportunities to exercise it or just other people speaking the same sorts of things into their life. Teachers and other adults. And so I want to encourage you fathers, pick up your Bible this week and pay attention. Asking God to show you a verse for your child. Write it on a note card and begin to pray it into their life. Make your presence felt. Another way to make your presence felt, a third way, is by showing up when you can't show up. I know a lot of times, dads, you just can't make it. Your boss asks you to be somewhere. Uh, it's busy season. It, you, you're traveling on business. These are realities of life. So plan. Plan to leave behind a surprise, a note, a gift, a video, 
especially when our kids were a little younger, I used to make videos of me reading books to them, usually in absurd voices. All right, that's always good times. But when I went away for a trip, I would make little videos for them, me reading a book, and nothing fancy. I just used our personal camera, switched it to video mode, and just went at it. Pumped out three books. Good, good times. But just recently, Katie replayed one of these for our youngest, who was, who was even at an older age now, mesmerized, and began a dialogue with the television. All right, he just started talking to me, which, you know, we're having him checked out. I think he's all right. <laughs> I, don't know if you, I don't know if you remember this. I don't know if you recall in 2003, uh, the U.S. space shuttle Columbia tragically disintegrating during its high-speed reentry into the atmosphere. The commander of that ship, a man named Rick Husband, was, that, was it, uh, an evangelical Christian who, who just who loved Jesus. Loved Jesus. Still does love Jesus. Before he launched into space for 18 days, he made 36 videos for his children. 18 for his son, 18 for his daughter. Because he said, I'll be gone for 18 days, but I want to lead you in family worship each day that I'm gone. He said in a videotaped interview that was shown in his memorial service, If I ended up at the end of my life having been an astronaut but having sacrificed my family along the way or living my life in a way that did not glorify God, having been an astronaut would have meant little to me or to anyone. Can you imagine how precious those 18 videos are to each of his children. To his future grandchildren. Now that's a father who, though absent, still makes his presence felt. Lesson number four. We learn from Jesus' baptism. His father identifies with him. Verse 17, this is my son. This is my boy. Of course, this is what our Heavenly Father does with all who trust, who put their trust in Jesus. The Father identifies with them. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1.12. Or Romans 8, 16-17, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order we might be glorified with Him. Father, you are my daughter. You are my son. You're my children. Somehow on the same level, even with Jesus, fellow heirs with Christ. How might we identify with our children in such a way that they will say of themselves confidently, I am my father's daughter. I am my father's son. How can we identify with our children in that kind of way that they will say that confidently? Just a couple ways. Um, First of all, fathers of daughters, date your daughters. 
Before that sounds odd, <laughs> all right, the best dads I know who have daughters pursue them and show to them how a woman ought to be treated and cherished until the day that you pass on that role to another man. Take them out for, for Saturday pancakes, for special daddy daughter dinner and a movie. You know, if uh, it's once a quarter. And as they get older, don't stop. Don't stop. It'll be easy to do that as they show a little bit less interest. I know a dad whose teenage daughter, and he recently had a weekend together, and he let her choose a series of movies, and they watched them together. I know that's frightening as a father. You're like, oh, please, no confessions of a shopaholic. That's the only one I can think of. Thankfully for them, she decided to go with Lord of the Rings. I was like, oh, what a daughter. It's amazing. But show them that they belong to someone till the day you give them away. Fathers of sons, one way to do this is write out what you remember at their age, at that age, and be sure to share it and experience it with your own son. My sons love, and I mean love. I don't, I don't know what it is. They love to hear what I did at their age. You know, how I felt doing it, uh, what I was thinking, what I wish was different. And they, eat that, and they ask me follow-up questions. My kids don't normally do that. Take some time. Write some things down. Uh, things you wished happened differently, even. Uh, and then communicate those things and do them with your boys identify with them. Let them know you are thinking about where they are in their lives, right, at their age. That's powerful. Lesson number five. Uh, His father expresses his love for him. He says, this is my beloved son. Verse 17. How do you show love for your child? Two ways. You tell your child you love them. And you show your child you love them. And there is no excuse. We need to say, I love you to your child every day. Let's leave that there. But the second way is, is you show your child you love them. Here are some ways to do this. Number one, instructing them to hope in God. Instructing them to know what he's done for them. Psalm 78, 5-7 says this. That God established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Fathers, it is your role to teach your children to hope in God and why they should hope in God, what he, is, what he has done for each of your children. There are ways to do that. You can ask me later. But a second way, you show your child you love them uh, by loving your wife. For boys, it's so important for them to see you honor your wife. Uh, for girls, it's so important for them to see you showing your wife tender affection. Uh, a third, another way you show your child you love them by listening to your child. If you keep on talking slash screaming, they're going to stop coming to you. They're going to stop opening up to you when they become teenagers. 
That's just a reality. Listen to your children. Now, fourth way, and a very important way you love your child, is hold out to them a high standard and high grace. Many of you parents have high standards for your kids. But I want you to ask yourself, why? Why? Honestly, why? Is it to make life easier for you? That if, if they behave well, dads, you get more peace and quiet? Is it to make life more satisfying for you? Uh, if they perform well, it reflects nicely on you, fulfills you. The reason, the big picture ultimate reason that God wants us to have high standards for our kids is the same reason God has a high standard for us through his law, that they too will see a high standard, they will try to meet a high standard, and then see their desperate need for a rescuer. That if and when they try to obey that high standard on their own, on their own strength, ultimately they'll fail. Over time, they'll fail. And that's a great opportunity to just get down and demonstrate and tell your child about the grace of God. Just to forgive them. To love them on their level. High standard, but then higher, if even higher grace. Last one, lesson number six. Jesus' father expresses his pleasure with him. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. A couple things here. Brag about your children. Brag about them. You know, in front of them, to others, especially as they get older. How awesome was it? Or, or for some of you, you have to imagine how awesome it would have been to hear another adult say, man, your dad is so proud of you. Anytime I hear a parent praise a child, I try my best to make a point to repeat that to that child at, at an opportune moment. And your dad, he's so proud of you for this. That's so awesome. Again, this is another point where non-parents can join in also in loving and encouraging children. And they hear that from parents. I want to encourage you, if, if, of daughters, when it's girls, I want to encourage you dads to compliment her character, her skill, her talents, three times for every compliment about her appearance. It is so easy just to, oh, you're so beautiful, you're so cute. Compliment her character, skill, talents for three times every time you compliment her appearance. Reinforce the superior value of inner beauty that the Word talks about in 1 Peter 3. Second thing, express your pleasure through milestone moments. Man, I remember a dad inviting me and other significant men to a sort of celebration of sorts for his son's 16th birthday. Each man was asked to compose a letter of encouragement and read it, sort of out by the campfire. And many of those men brought their own sons along, even younger sons. The father then at the end, he took time to praise his son in front of everybody. To just share what he loved about his son. I was pleased with this son. By the way, that works for girls when they reach a certain age as well. And fathers, I would encourage you that that might be a good time to break out the video camera. You know, have 
the wife and ladies gather, then you show up, you know, like live via satellite. You know, and do that sort of thing. Children. I think they're viewed by not just parents, but by society as a whole at one or two extremes. They're viewed either as a nuisance or as an idol. Right? Either they get in the way of our selfish goals or they're used as pawns to help us achieve selfish goals, selfish desires. You know? Consider our Heavenly Father. Consider how your Heavenly Father views you, which is neither. He, he's present. He makes his presence known through speaking, through speaking in his word, this, this, this letter to us. He makes his presence felt through the Holy Spirit, God dwelling in us. He identifies with us by having lived among us. He has expressed his love for us by giving his one and only son, that by giving him, he might make more sons. And he will one day express this pleasure with us. Well done, good and faithful servant. Fathers, may we do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask. We don't just ask. We ask for the grace, for the strength to be the kind of dad that you were to Jesus. Help us start by just remembering your great love for us expressed through Jesus Christ on the cross. That though we were your enemies, estranged sons, prodigal sons, Christ died for us. That we might know the Father forever. Might know you forever. Help us start there. And remembering your great sacrifice, help us sacrifice by just showing up for our kids. And in making that our presence known, making our presence felt, identifying with our children. Speaking love to our children. And telling them how pleased we are with them. Give us strength as fathers to be those kind of dads. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.